Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, and welcome to another episode of Halloween. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah Brimer, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. If you are unfamiliar with what Halloween is, Halloween is the one time of the year where we post five back-to-back true crime episodes for the five days leading up to Halloween. It is the craziest time of the year, but it is the best time of the year. So make sure you go ahead and subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. On the days that it is not Halloween, we post weekly here every Wednesday and on the YouTube channel every Thursday. You can also go ahead and follow us on Instagram. It's just at Killer Instinct Podcast. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the serial killer named Robert Hansen. Some of you may know him as the Butcher Baker, and Robert is the type of person that they make movies about, the type of cases that you would see in a TV show. What he did was truly horrifying. Over the years of 1971 to 1983, Robert murdered at least 17 people. Let's get into it. Robert Christian Hansen was born the day after Valentine's Day. He was born on February 15th, 1939 in Estherville, Iowa. He was born to his parents, Christian and Edna. Christian was a Danish immigrant and also worked as a baker. Growing up, Robert followed in his father's footsteps and he started working at the bakery. And according to everyone who knew Robert's family, Robert's father, Christian, was very hard on Robert. Christian made Robert work very long hours in the bakery as a child. And that combined with the fact that Robert wasn't really a very social person, this made it very difficult for him to make friends. Now, Robert was naturally left-handed. However, Christian, his father, decided that Robert was only going to be able to write with his right hand. So he never allowed Christian to write with his right hand. And due to the stress that he was under from his father, Robert actually started to develop a stutter. Now, along with a lot of other children, Robert definitely had an awkward phase. He suffered from very bad acne. Along with that, he had the stutter and he wasn't very social. So some deemed him as socially awkward. And that all combined together really didn't make it easy for him to make friends. And not only that, it made him a very big target for bullies in school. He was bullied a lot by the other boys in his school. And he was also rejected from any of the girls that he ever liked. So because of those two things combined, not only did Robert spend a lot of time alone and on his own, he also developed a lot of anger and animosity towards everyone. He had very bad anger issues and temperament issues. Now, during the time that Robert spent alone, he ended up picking up two hobbies, and these hobbies were hunting 
and archery. Now in 1957, Robert decided that he was going to join the Army Reserve and he served for one year before being discharged. Now during his time in the reserve, he was still working at the bakery. So the bakery was what he did on most days. That was kind of his day-to-day -day job. And then for only one weekend every month would he go and work for the reserve. So the rest of his time was still spent at his family bakery. Now, after that, Robert got a job as an assistant drill instructor in Pocahontas, Iowa. And in 1960 is when he married his first wife and he ended up marrying her. Now, I have searched high and low for this woman's name. I know the name of his second wife, that is public knowledge. However, the name of his first wife is nowhere to be found. If any of you know it, I would love for you to tell me. It is possible that the reason that this woman's name is nowhere on the internet is because her and Robert were really only together for six months before Robert ended up having to go to jail. Six months into his first marriage, Robert was sentenced to prison for three years for burning down a school bus garage in the town of Pocahontas. And he did this out of revenge for his horrible high school experience. He really wanted to get back at the school because he had so many terrible memories there and he had so much animosity built up towards the people at the school. So that was his way of getting back. And Robert might've even gotten away with this if it wasn't for one of his friends that actually ratted him out. So Robert served the sentence at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. And during this time there, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder as well as schizophrenia. Now, the psychiatrist that Robert would meet at the prison said that Robert had an obsession with getting revenge on people who wronged him and that he would go to just about any length in order to do that. Now, even though Robert initially got a three-year sentence, he only ended up serving about 20 months, so just a little over half of his sentence. And once he was released, he ended up meeting his second wife. His first wife ended up divorcing him once he started his sentence. But once he got released, he met his second wife. And this was a woman named Darla, who he married in 1963. Now, Darla and Robert ended up having two children together, but their marriage was not perfect by any means. For the first five years of their marriage, Robert had been in and out of jail several times for just petty theft charges. And in 1967, Robert decided that he wanted him and his family to start fresh. He wanted to be in a place where no one knew him, no one knew where he was, no one knew who he was, and most importantly, no one knew what he had done. So because of that, Robert and Darla decided to move away pretty much as far away as they could. And that is when they moved to Anchorage, Alaska. For all things considered, the people that he met in Anchorage really liked Robert. He had a great relationship with his neighbors and he was also able to do a lot of hunting in Anchorage, which he really, really loved. And he was extremely talented in it. He actually ended up setting hunting records in Anchorage However, those have since been removed and taken down for reasons we're about to get into. Now, from the outside, the Hansen family seemed like your average everyday family, as they typically always do. Now, Iowa is very far from Alaska, like I said, and this was a very intriguing element to Robert. He liked that no one there knew his history. However, the facade of Robert being this, you know, squeaky clean guy 
was starting to crack a little bit. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. In 1972, Robert was arrested twice, once for abducting and attempting to rape a housewife who to this day has never been named, and a second time for raping a local sex worker. Now, Robert was sentenced to five years for both of these charges. However, he only served six months. This is a pattern of Robert's. He will be sentenced to prison for a certain amount of time, and then that time will be cut in half, or in this case, six months out of five years. After the six months were up, Robert was placed on a work release program and sent to a halfway house. And a work release program is basically when the system allows trustworthy prisoners to go out and get a job. However, when they're not at their job, they have to return back to wherever they're staying. Now, it is pretty shocking seeing the severity of Robert's crimes and him not having to serve all of that time for it. The fact that he is just being released for most of these charges. And again, we're not talking about simple petty theft or petty crime or, you know, vandalism or trespassing or things like that. We are talking about attempted rape, actual rape, kidnapping. These are very severe crimes that Robert was not getting fully punished for. So five years after Robert served those six months, he was arrested again. And this time he was arrested for stealing a chainsaw at a local convenience store. And he was sentenced to five years in prison for this. Along with that, he was also required to receive psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder while he was incarcerated. Now, this is a contingency that had never been put in place before in Robert's previous times in prison. And once again, the pattern continues. Even though he was sentenced to serve five years in prison, he only actually had to serve one of those years. And once he was released, there was no requirement for him to continue his medication. The medication that he was on while in prison was lithium. And once he was released from prison, he no longer had to take it. Now, right after Robert had been released, there was a robbery at his home. And what we know now is that Robert actually staged this robbery himself. And the reason he did this, the reason he faked a burglary on his own home was so that he could get insurance money. And his plan ended up working. He ended up receiving $13,000 in insurance money. And with that money, he went on to open up his own bakery in Anchorage, Alaska. So he really was continuing on the family tradition of working at a bakery and having their own family 
bakery. And this is why he is referred to as the butcher baker. In 1982, Robert bought a Piper Super Cub Bush plane. This is a two-seater single engine type of plane and it maxes out at about 130 miles per hour. Now, Robert bought this plane without being able to obtain a license. He was actually denied a license due to his mental illness. However, he still bought the plane and he still used it. Now let's talk about Robert's killings. Robert is believed to have began killing in 1972, mainly targeting sex workers and dancers. His MO was typically to pick up a woman in his car, force her at gunpoint to his cabin, where he would continue to rape her and then use his plane, the plane that he does not have a license to, to fly her to a secluded area to hunt her. Yes, I said hunt. Robert would take the women that he had kidnapped and put them on his plane and fly them to a secluded wilderness area and make them believe that he was going to let them free. He would tell them that, you know, I'm going to let you free, start running, just run as fast as you can. And little did they know this was all a part of his game. As these women ran for their lives, Robert would track them down and chase them using an arrow and a knife. And this was no quick chase. Robert would hunt these women for hours, if not days at a time, before tracking them down and killing them. You can only imagine the terror that these women are going through, thinking that they're going to be released, while also not knowing where in the hell they are, because they just took this airplane to this random forest wilderness, and now they're being told to run. They don't know where to run. And now they have this psychopath hunting them like an animal. Now, how we're going to cover this case is we are going to talk about how Robert was found and how the police figured out what he was doing, and then we're going to work our way backwards. That's typically how I like to cover serial killer cases, just because it maps it out easier. On June 13th, 1983, Robert picked up 17-year-old Cindy Paulson and offered her $200 for sex work. Immediately when Cindy got in the car with him, he then pulled a gun on her and drove her to his home where he held her captive, tortured her, and raped her. Robert chained Cindy by her neck in the basement of the house while he took a nap on the couch. And mind you, Darla and the children were not home at this point. They were on vacation in Europe while Robert was doing all of this. Now, once Robert woke up from his nap, he then put Cindy in his car and drove her to the airport where he kept his plane. Robert would typically take his victims to the Nick River, which was only accessible by boat or bush plane, which Robert happened to have. Robert told Cindy that he would let her go if she cooperated and went to his cabin with him that was at Nick River. However, Cindy knew better and she knew that if she got on that plane with Robert, she would not be coming back. Robert took Cindy to the Merrill Field Airport, and while Robert was loading the airplane's cockpit, Cindy found her chance to escape, and she took it. She crawled out of the back seat and opened the driver's door while one of her hands was still attached to the handcuff, and she ran as fast as she could. 
Now, even though Robert did chase after her, he could not get to Cindy in time before she was able to flag down a truck driver that was driving by and got in the car with him. Now, once Cindy got in the car with this truck driver, she asked the driver to drive her to a local motel. And when she got there, that is when she called her boyfriend. Cindy's boyfriend was staying at a different motel nearby called the Big Timber Motel. And so she went to meet him there. So she actually wasn't the one to call the police. It was the truck driver that was the one to call authorities. And authorities then met Cindy and her boyfriend at the Big Timber Motel. Cindy was taken to the police station where she described Robert's appearance to a sketch artist to a T. She gave a perfect description of what Robert looked like. And along with that, Cindy was able to perfectly describe the house, the airport, and the plane. And she even left behind a little bit of evidence too. Cindy had left her shoes in the airplane before she ran off. So because they had the shoes in the airplane, they were able to link that to Robert. So obviously at this point, authorities have to go talk to Robert. And according to them, Robert was infuriated. Police told Robert that Cindy was accusing him of kidnapping and rape. And Robert went on this whole tangent about how it was obvious that she was using him for money and trying to falsely accuse him because he did not do any of that. A direct quote from Robert is when he said, quote unquote, you can't rape a prostitute, can you? Now, even though Robert has quite the track record with the law already, the police really didn't consider him a viable suspect yet. You know, he was the local baker. He had a good reputation. He kept to himself. He had a family. But more than that, two of Robert's friends backed Robert with a false alibi for the night of the attack of Cindy. Robert's friends told authorities that they were with Robert the entire night, and so there was no way that he could have done this to Cindy. So because of that, there were no charges filed. Now, in my mind, what doesn't make a lot of sense there, just as a side note, is clearly if you have her shoes in the airplane, she's not making up the fact that she was with him. So this alibi doesn't really hold up either way. If you think about it, other than if he just said, you know, that was from a different night, Robert could lie and defend himself by saying that the shoes were left in there from a different night when they were together. However, those shoes being in the airplane shows that there is some credibility to Cindy's story and that this alibi shouldn't really hold up as much as it did for many reasons, but one being there's evidence in the plane that Cindy was there. Now, months had gone by after Cindy's attack, and on September 2nd, there was another body of a woman named Paula Golding, who was also 17 years old, and her body was discovered in a shallow grave on the bank of the Nick River. Paula was also a sex worker and a dancer in the Anchorage area, and she had been missing for five months by the time her body was discovered. She had been shot in the back. However, when her body was found, there were no bullet holes in her clothing, which suggests that whoever did this to her murdered her while she was completely undressed and then redressed her after she died. 
Now, because of the similarities in Paula and Cindy with them both falling into the same line of work, they both are the same age, and the Nick River coming up again, Robert's name did get brought back up into the conversation. However, police didn't want to believe that he could do this because of the alibi. The alibi was really the thing that was saving Robert at this point because police didn't want to look at him at all because of this false alibi. But then things changed. Police ended up making a connection between Paula's case and a case from the year prior when a 24-year-old woman named Sherry Marrow's body was discovered on September 12th, 1982 by two hunters that were hunting along Nick River. These hunters were named Walter Gilmore and Leland Hale, and they discovered Sherry's body as they were returning back from hunting and crossing over the sandbar in the Nick River. At first, they noticed a boot sticking out of the sand, and when they got closer, they realized it was a body. They immediately contacted authorities who arrived on the scene, and police discovered a shell casing from a 223 caliber bullet. An autopsy confirmed that Sherry had been dead for about six months, and it took two weeks to identify her. Sherry was also a dancer. She danced at the Wild Cherry Bar in downtown Anchorage and was last seen on November 17, 1981. Now, after finding and comparing the similarities between Sherry, Paula, and Cindy, authorities ended up bringing in an FBI profiler because at this point, they were stuck. They didn't know where to look. They didn't know who was doing this, when in reality, Robert was right under their nose the entire time. Now, this FBI profiler came in and he profiled the suspect as someone with low self-esteem, someone who was also an experienced hunter, and someone who had a history of rejection from women. This profiler even went as far as to say that this suspect more than likely had a stutter. Now, does that person sound familiar to you? Now, once the authorities heard about this profile, they went back to the two men that gave this alibi for Robert. So they went back to Robert's friends and they basically said that if they were lying, if this alibi was not true, that these two friends were going to be criminally charged to the fullest extent. And that is when they cracked. Both of these men admitted that they had lied about the fact that Robert was with them that night. They said that Robert was not with them that that night, and not only that, they also informed police that Robert had committed insurance fraud by staging a burglary in his own home to collect $13,000 of insurance money to open his own bakery. Now, once police learned that Robert's alibi was completely fake, that's when they really honed in on him. Now, Robert was brought in for questioning again on October 27th, 1983. And according to authorities, when they walked into Robert's bakery, because that is where they met him to tell him to come with them, Robert didn't ask any questions. It's almost as if at this point, he knew he was caught. But what Robert didn't know is while Robert was with authorities answering questions and being interrogated, Authorities actually had a warrant to go through his entire house and search it from top to bottom. Now, at first, when Robert was being questioned by police, he was adamantly denying that he had anything to do with any of these disappearances and any of these murders. However, it didn't take long for him to figure out that the police knew 
a lot more than he thought that they did. And a lot of what the police knew is what they found in Robert's home. Inside of Robert's home, police found the gun that had been used to carry out all of the murders, as well as the IDs and jewelry that Robert had taken as trophies from his victims. Now, along with all of this, police also found an aviation map. This map was found hidden in the headboard of Robert's bed, and this was a map of Anchorage, Alaska. Robert had marked X's on spots of the map where he had left his victims. He literally created his own treasure hunt map and marked everywhere where he had murdered someone. Different sources say different numbers as to how many X's were on this map. And these numbers range from 24 to 32 X's on this map. So it was somewhere in that range. And this is when police knew, finally, that they had their guy. And not only was the aviation map enough for them to know that Robert was responsible for this, while police were searching through Robert's home, they also found the same shell casings in Robert's home as the ones that were found when Sherry's body was discovered. So based off of all of this information, Robert was then arrested and charged with assault, kidnapping, weapons offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. Now, when Robert and his attorney realized the massive amount of evidence that was going against Robert and how really there was no way of him getting out of this, Robert and his attorney arranged a meeting with the DA and they struck a deal. Now, this was a two-part deal and one of the parts we will get to in a moment, but let's talk about the first part of this deal. And that was a full confession from Robert. Now, in this confession, Robert said that he would get the girl in the car, and typically this girl was some sort of sex worker or dancer, and he said, quote, I pull out the gun and I say, look, you're a professional. You don't get excited. You know that there is some risk to what you've been doing. If you do exactly what I tell you to do, you're not going to get hurt. You're just going to count this off as a bad experience and be a little more careful next time with who you're going to go proposition or go out with. I tried to act as tough as I could to get them as scared as possible, reach over and put the gun in her face and get them to feel helpless or scared. You always try to get control of the situation. He admitted to taking women into the wilderness, again saying that his favorite spot was the Nick River. He would let them go and hunt them down using arrows, guns, and knives. He told police that sometimes he would even blindfold these women, and every time he would undress them before making them run for their life. Robert described the hunting to authorities as going after either a doll sheep or a grizzly bear. Now, he also confessed to raping these women. If not by just himself, he would rape them with objects such as hammers or broomsticks. Now, as part of his confession, police gave Robert a large aerial map of Anchorage and told him to mark where all of the grave sites were. Now, Robert marked 15 grave sites on the map, which again is different from the 24 to 32 that were marked on the original map. However, on this map, he only marked 15 and 12 out of the 15 were already known to police. They knew about those 12. However, those other three, they were just learning about. 
And police decided instead of them going to these grave sites and kind of aimlessly digging and trying to find these bodies, they would bring Robert to each one of these grave sites so he could tell them directly where their bodies were. So now let's name the victims. Celia Van Zanten was 17 years old when she went missing on December 22nd, 1971. She was found three days later on December 25th, 1971, and Robert never admitted to killing her. However, he is believed to have done it because there was an X on the original aviation map where her body was discovered. The same thing happened to 17-year-old Megan Emmerich and Mary Phil. Megan was 17 years old when she went missing in July 1973, and Mary was 22 when she went missing in July of 1975. Again, Robert denies killing them, but there is an X on the original aviation map where their bodies ended up being recovered. A Jane Doe woman who was gone by the nickname Eklutna Annie was found in July 1980 and was stabbed in the back. Her body was discovered in a shallow grave off of Eklutna Lake Road. Construction workers discovered her body, and by the time they found her, her remains had been so badly decomposed that no one has ever been able to identify her to this day. Roxanne Eastland was 24 years old and went missing in June 1980, and Robert did confess to murdering her. However, to this day, her body has never been discovered. Joanna Messina was 24 years old and went missing in July 1980 and was found later that same month. Her body was recovered in a shallow grave. Lisa Futrell was 41 years old, and this is Robert's oldest known victim. And she went missing in September of 1980 and was found one year later off of Old Nick Bridge. Sherry Moreau was 23 years old and went missing in November 1981, and she was found about a year later in a shallow grave on the bank of Nick River. She had been shot in the back three times. Robert confessed to killing 22-year-old Andrea Altery in 1981. However, her body has also never been recovered. 23-year-old Sue Luna went missing on May 26, 1982, when Robert let her go in the forest before ultimately hunting her down and shooting her. Malai Larson was found in 1984 after being murdered between the years of 1980 and 1983. Same with Teresa Watson and Angela Federn. Tammy Peterson was found in April 1984, 1.5 miles from Nick Bridge. So those are the known victims of Robert. But again, the numbers here are very unknown and not certain because you have one map that says one thing, then you have Robert marking a new map and saying something completely different. So the numbers aren't concrete here. But let's talk about the second part of this deal. Now, in exchange for a full confession, Robert would only be charged with four of the 17 murders that he committed. And mind you, it's just at least 17 murders that we know about. The four he was charged with were Paula Golding, Eklutna Annie, which was the Jane Doe, as well as Joanna Messina and Sherry Moreau. Now, he was also charged with the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson. Now, as infuriating as it is for Robert to not have been charged with all of the murders that he committed, he was sentenced to 400 and 61 years in prison plus life. All in all, he confessed to murdering 17 women. He also confessed to raping 
30 of them, and this is over a 12-year period. He was imprisoned at the United States Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. However, in 1988, he returned to Alaska and was imprisoned at Spring Creek Correctional Center located in Seward, Alaska. His wife did end up divorcing him and moved to Russia with her kids, where it's said that she is now a teacher. Robert died on August 21st, 2014 due to health conditions. So his life was ended in prison. Now, the Knick River is a part of Anchorage. And in 2010, I know that it is many years after these crimes were committed. However, in 2010, the population was 744 people. So there really weren't a lot of people roaming around at the time that would have been able to see Robert doing this. And again, Robert was a smart guy. He knew where to take his victims. He was taking them in areas that were secluded, that people were not going to be around. That's why he was able to get away with this for so long. And the Kinnick River really isn't that deep, by the way. It's only about three feet. So if someone were to fall in it, they really wouldn't be going fully submerged underwater. And there are a lot of woodlands surrounding the river, which is where Robert would bring his victims. This case is absolutely wild to me just considering for well for many reasons but one being the fact that this literally sounds like a movie robert was taking these victims and throwing them into the wilderness making them run for their lives and hunting them down i honestly am very surprised that he never got caught before he did and the fact that he held all of these hunting records in anchorage which like i said earlier have since been removed due to the nature of his crimes however the fact that he was so good at hunting, yet no one really knew what his favorite thing to hunt for was. This was all such a sick psychological game that Robert was playing in his head. So everything about that to me is absolutely horrifying. And that is why I thought it would be a perfect episode to cover for this episode of Halloween, because Robert Hansen really isn't someone that you hear about a lot. For as bizarre and twisted and terrifying his crimes were, I feel like you don't necessarily hear about him a lot, which is interesting because his number of victims is high. Having at least 17 victims is a very high number to have. So those are my thoughts on this case, but I would love to hear yours as well. You can leave them in the comments below, or you can DM me at the Killer Instinct Instagram, which is just at Killer Instinct Podcast. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Halloween. Like I said, my name is Savannah Brimer, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. We also post every Thursday on the YouTube channel and you're not going to want to miss that. I'll be back tomorrow with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. 
Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.